Hallelujah. Well, we're going to get started this morning. Listen, we, we are going to worship God this morning. And as we'll probably share later, God is looking for worshipers. Not just people who express love towards God, but it says God is spirit. It means God is not natural. God created the natural realm, but God is spirit. So the under, underlying, undergirding power and strength of the creation, the natural world, is the spiritual world. Which means if there's ever a retraction, the natural goes first, the spiritual remains. And we know that to be true, right? But because of that, because we are meant to be eternal people, God is training us to interact with that realm. God is training us to connect with the Spirit such that we are defined as sons of God by our, our ability to be led by the Spirit. So, Father, I pray today that we could step an increment further in being led by the Spirit, that we would learn to worship in the Spirit, that we will learn to participate with you in how you work and how you move and how you think and how you function as a spirit being. Lord, you are spirit. And we want to worship you in spirit and truth. So, Father, we, had, we come to you today. We say, Lord, teach us. We accept your teaching. Hmm. If you want to be prepared for eternity, just begin to say to God right now, I accept the training of the Holy Spirit in my life to function with God for eternity. Lord, we accept you, Holy Spirit. Come, come and train us. Come and teach us. We reach out to you. We say, we don't want to turn you away, Holy Spirit. We don't want to resist your efforts to teach us. We receive you. We bless you. We bless the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We bless the unction of the Holy Spirit. We say knowledge of God through the Holy Spirit. Come. Let's use this moment. Engage your spirit. Don't wait for something to happen to you, release your spirit. Don't wait. Yeah. I wonder if we could just pause here for a second. Part of the thing that we're learning here as a body, one of the things that it means to be corporate is, is we're all in the same car. How many of you have ever gone on a trip and you have some people that are always, always late. And so everybody else is ready and you're always waiting for them. If you're going to be corporate, you can't leave. You can't. You have to wait. Uh, one of the questions that comes up time and time again, because we have in worship, we have these great moments. And yet it takes 45 minutes, an hour to come into them. And people say, well, why does it take us so long? Because we're waiting. Because we're going corporately. And to go corporately, there can be some people that don't know how to go or can't go or not going, and we pull them along. 
But there's a balance, there's a threshold that has to be met in order to be able to pull people who aren't entering into the presence of God. Now, God is training our attitudes so that we are willing to go together and not leave anybody behind. But the reason why people start getting the attitude of leaving people behind is because they're tired of always waiting when it seems that other people don't care. Now, if this was just, hey, let's just come and sit in the presence of God and let God do something for me, then it wouldn't matter. But we're actually, God is looking for worshipers because there's something He wants to do on the earth. God always manifests His presence and works through the manifestation of His presence in the midst of His people. And so, think about, ask yourself this question right now. What, are you distracted? Are you actually, we just sang the songs, I want you, I long for you. Has that been your experience yet this morning? I'm not saying that to shame anybody. I'm just saying, can we, can we do this? Can we connect with God? Because he's, the Bible says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And what we're trying to fix is this on and off thing in our lives where we don't know where the presence of God is. We don't have that connection. We're wondering what's happening. God is, through our maturity, getting us to the place where we can access his presence regularly and with predictability because that's what kids can do to their dads. We can't do that to strangers. We can't do that to people we don't know, but we can do that to our Heavenly Father. But it does require a training. There is something that we need to do. If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. So there's a lull here, in them, and it's because God is trying to put his finger. Listen, I'm trying to train you as a body to move together. So I know there are distractions. I know I've got grandkids, and it's hard to have kids, but do whatever you can to give God a few moments of your time this morning because we need it and he needs it. Father, we want to draw near to you. In truth, we want to really draw near to you. We want to cry out for you. We don't want to miss. Lord, we feel like blind Bartimaeus and you're passing by. You come, there's an opportunity now in our lives for something. And God, I pray that the faith to know the moment, the faith to know what is possible, would fill our beings, God, and that we would draw near to you. God, we rebuke that spirit that would come to distract and pull us in a hundred different directions. Lord, we want to give you the focus of our hearts. We want to give you the honor and the glory that's due your name. We want to say, Lord, you are worthy of our attention this morning. You are worthy of our attention, God. Spirit and the bride say, come. Come, Lord. King of glory, come. The Bible says that the spirit and the bride say, come. What if, what if we had the ability to unlock times and seasons? Or what if the convergence of our maturity and his willingness to come coincide?
What if it mattered whether we say come or not? You hear what I'm saying? What if God in heaven is waiting for the maturation of the faith of the body of Christ on the earth and he's going to come when a certain fullness is reached? There's not what if. That's the way God works. That's the way God, he always works with a fullness. This morning, Gord uh, said to me, he said, you know, I was reading and I'd always thought that Jesus was taunting the disciples when they had a lack of food and he said to them, you feed them. It almost, you know, I saw it as, and I used to see it this way too, as Jesus was using this, this, this moment to show them how little faith they had. And maybe that was an offshoot of what he wanted to do, but yet he was giving them an opportunity to do the miracle. Now they didn't and they couldn't, so he did it. What does it mean for us to come into the fullness of who Christ is? What it, does it mean for us to be made into his likeness? What are the good works that God has preordained that we should walk in? What if that was the entirety of God's purpose in you, that he's waiting for you to come up into doing the works that Jesus did, the way that Jesus did them? Heaven is waiting for the earth to may be made the footstool of Jesus. Jesus is seated. He's not working right now. Well, you know, what about, isn't he praying? Isn't he interceding? Well, yes. But he's seated. He's not standing doing the stuff. He's waiting for the earth. This is where we're, we're, we're starting to realize that some of this is on us. The ability to bring the presence of God. That's why your individual access can you access the presence of God? The training of your individual life is what can you press past to get the presence of God? Are there frustrations in your day that make it impossible for you to touch God? Anybody ever have a day like that? Where you're mad, you're miserable, you whatever, you wouldn't even dare presume to ask for the presence of God. You know what that is? That is a hindrance, that is a, an impedance in front of your path. Faith overcomes that. Faith surpasses it. Faith gets a grip on the moment, is able to put aside wrath or whatever kind of human emotion or intellectual impedance is going on in your brain. I'm so distracted, I can't even think about God. That distraction is a thing. That mental activity is a thing that God wants you to get past so that you can access his presence. If you access his presence, you are in effect pulling his presence into the moment. That's what ministry is. Ministry is one person pulling the presence of God in order that it touches many. And we're all called to do the work of the ministry. So this is what God is training us. What if, now let me, let me back up. I read here on Facebook about Smith Wigglesworth. He said eight things about the end days. And one of the things that caught me, he said, there's going to be extravagant asking in the end days extravagant asking. And I thought about that. I thought, wow, the thing I want the power to ask and receive is more of his presence. Years ago, when I first went to a vineyard event with John Wimber, I'd been accustomed to these sort of charismatic uh, Pentecostal meetings where 
where there's always a, an, an upsurge into uh, a certain dynamic of the presence of God. So you, you sort of built the atmosphere within a conference or a meeting, and it just sort of, you know, crescendo just very slowly, you know, and then eventually, and you, you know, the meeting got as intense as it got. But, of course, the high moments were defined by, by a, a concentration of the presence of God. I mean, it was, it was phenomenal. Then I saw John Wimber, and I was in a meeting, and we were worshiping, and it was great. Great presence, great atmosphere. But then he stood up, and he said, I asked the Holy Spirit for the permission to release him in our midst. And he said, yes, so I'm going to release the Holy Spirit. And he said two words, three words, really. If you said, come, Holy Spirit. He just said it. And if there was a dial, a power dial, and we were at three, it went instantly up to ten. Instantly up to ten. I thought, what is this? How, how can the atmosphere change so instantaneously? How, how is that possible? That is a quality of faith, a quality of asking and receiving that most of the church doesn't know about, but that is available to us. And part of what God is doing in our lives is he's wanting to give that to us, but he's training us to access it. But he can't take us to where John Wimber is at. He's got to go just a little bit beyond where I'm at right now. Fair enough? So the question is, where are we right now as individuals? Can you go days without the presence of God and not bother you or nothing? At what point do you start to get desperate, really start to lean into God? What does it take for desperation? I need God. You are God's answer to your community. Your faith, your capacity... I'm thinking, okay, what if the manifestation of God on the earth where he, he eventually is going to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, what if the level of manifestation in a city like Spruce Grove was entirely dependent on your faith, our faith, collectively? What if we could instantaneously release a measure of God that would have people in their houses crying and weeping? It's possible because anything's possible to him that believes. Nothing is impossible. This is what I'm talking about, extravagant asking. But it takes faith. But you, you can't reasonably ask for a lot if you can't ask for a little and get it. So God is training us. And the question is, where are we at in our training? Father, I pray today that we would increase in our capacity to say, God, come. Holy Spirit, come. That, God, when we stand and begin to pray, God, as men of old begin to pray, that you would, you would cause your presence to come. Lord, that you long to have co-workers on the earth who know your heart, who know your ways, who believe that it's your good pleasure to give us the kingdom and therefore who ask with confidence 
who enter with boldness, who access the presence of God, who say, God, be in our midst. Holy Spirit, be in our midst. Breakthrough with healing. Breakthrough with salvation. Breakthrough with deliverance. Breakthrough, breakthrough, breakthrough. Now let me tell you something that separates you from God right now. Your lack of faith. Paul said, I am convinced that nothing can separate me from the love that is in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm, I'm convinced. Paul himself was convinced. Nothing can separate me. If you, in fact, do believe you can be separated, then you will be separated. So the question is, and this is one of the things that God is doing in your life, what are the things that makes you feel distant from God? Do you, on the other side, what are the things that make you feel worthy of God's presence? If it's anything other than the blood of Jesus, that is pride. Hello. If you think you can be made worthy of the presence of God by a certain amount of Bible reading, that's confidence in the flesh. Bible reading does not get you into the presence of God. There is one way into the presence of God. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ. Is there another way? There's one way, the new and living way. Should you read your Bible? Yes, but not so as to qualify you. It's not so as to make you worthy. That's a part of drawing near to God. That's a, that's a part of the discipline. That's the manifestation of hunger that I do want to draw near to God. It doesn't make me worthy. So one of the first things that God is dealing with in your hearts is what are the things that make you worthy and make you feel unworthy? That's what he's dealing with because how can you call the presence of God into our city for our city if you can't even call the presence of God into your life if you sinned or if you haven't, haven't prayed enough or if you, if you were mad at your, your son or if you whatever. What are your triggers? What are the things that pull you back, call you to naturally withdraw from his presence? And then you wait till that thing wears off before you can come near. I gotta wait for the shame. I gotta wait for the guilt to, to pass away. It, it has a life cycle of its own and it will pass away. But it, you don't have to wait for it to die. You don't have to wait for the power of shame to die. You overcome the power of shame. You overcome the power of guilt by exercising faith. I believe that nothing can separate me from the love that is in Christ Jesus. I believe that the love of Jesus Christ is greater than all my disappointing behavior. I believe that the love of Jesus Christ and the and the, and the blood he shed is more than enough. Do you believe that? Get past, step past, step past these things. Set aside these encumbrances. Open up the way. I believe. I believe. I believe, God, that Jesus is worthy. Oh, that the blood is sacrifice enough. I will not lay. I will not lay myself on a cross to be crucified, to compensate for my failure. I trust Jesus Christ. Yes, yes, yes.
God, forgive us for the pride. Forgive us for the confidence in the flesh. Forgive us for the confidence that my sacrifice can make the difference between your blood and what's lacking. There is nothing lacking. Forgive me. Can you ask God right now? Forgive me, God, for having confidence in my own penitence. I accuse the Catholics of being religious, and yet I offer penance constantly. I just don't do it in a Catholic way. I do it in a Pentecostal way. I do it in a charismatic way. Faith, faith, faith. We must believe that there is an open heaven, that there is an open way by the blood of Jesus. And when we say open up, we're not saying God has closed something. We're saying, you things that are in my way, get out of the way. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. Okay, let me say something here. Now, this, this is preaching. This is preaching. Preaching, the purpose of preaching is to create faith inside of you for your own breakthrough. You know, preachers preach in order to, well, it's not, it's not, it's not the same as teaching. There is information involved, but it's, it's a catalytic for faith to create breakthrough. That's what evangelists do. They create faith. They're not there really to teach or to create structures of the kingdom. They're there to create faith for a breakthrough. So there was a time in my life when I was doing all the disciplines right, where I was fasting, when I was praying. And, uh, and I was growing in my ability to access the presence of God, and that was great. But what has started to creep up along the side is it started to creep up this judgment against others that they were not as diligent as me. And uh, eventually it got so bad that God thought, I got to deal with this. It's like, a, it's like a mold in a house. You can have a little bit of mold, but eventually it gets to a place you better deal with it or it's going to destroy the house, right? So God decided it was time to deal with that pride inside of me. So he began to resist my efforts which meant I lost them. <laughs> I, I just couldn't do it anymore. And here I was in this no man's land because what had happened is pride had started to entrench itself in my life, and I began to feel worthy by, by what I did. If I prayed in tongues for an hour, if I fasted for three days, if I read five chapters a day, if I shared the gospel with 12 people, you know, all of the stuff, then I felt bold. I got my boldness from my obedience. But that's not biblical, right? I, I should get boldness from the blood of Jesus. So, so anyway, I had no more boldness because in my heart, my confidence had shifted onto my flesh, onto what I did. And so here I was, and I, I was fainting because I couldn't access the presence of God anymore. And I couldn't do the stuff to make me feel bold to enter. Hello. And then when I did feel a little bit boldness, then God resisted me and I couldn't enter anyway. I was, I was stuck. Why does God do that? In order to break your confidence that anything but him is what, he, what is important in your life. Father, in Jesus' name. I, even now you've been breaking. You've been, you've been putting us in a starvation mode. We have been in the wilderness, and we're there. We could actually come out of that wilderness, except we can't because our pride. Our pride keeps us from creating confidence in the blood of Jesus, and our pride causes you to resist us. So we are stuck there until something breaks. This is not God's choice. This is our choice. 
But he said, listen, this is how I train you. I can't give you, I can't keep giving you success to your flesh. I can't keep giving success to your judgments of others. I can't keep reinforcing your self-righteousness. I'm training you to operate by faith. Say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I love the wilderness as a place of breaking. Lord, I want to do it quick. Do it quick. You can't pretend to be out of that place. Only when something breaks can you be released from that place. So let that let it have its perfect work. With receive it with patience. Walk through it. Believe. 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 But keep crying out to God. Keep crying out to God. Some of you have shrunk back and you're thinking, I don't know what's going on in my life. I don't know where that presence was, that excitement was of those early days. I don't, I don't know what I need to do to get back to it. There's nothing you need to do except change. But change doesn't happen by you doing something. It changes by your confidence, your heart shifting. Father, in Jesus' name. We accept the administration of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We say, change us. Lord, we say our lives are in your hands. Hey. So we cry out to you today, Lord. We say you are our only hope. Oh, you are our only hope. You are. These are times... These are times when you just want to solidify your commitment to the journey, saying, God, I trust you. Like Israel coming out of Egypt and into the land of promise, God, the wilderness is doing something in me. I'd rather not be in the wilderness, but if this is what I need for my journey, then I accept it, but let it be short. So just keep just keep aligning yourself. Say, God, I I commit myself to pursue you. I will not shrink back. I will not say, I will go back to Egypt. I will not say, it was better when I was a a less passionate Christian. It was better before I began praying this way. It was was better before I stopped trying to make a difference. No, no, this is the training to be a person who makes a difference. I am a child of God. I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. I am an overcomer. I am one who knows the power of God. I am one who will change the earth. I am one who will participate in manifesting the kingdom of God. I will press through. I am not natural. I am a spiritual being. Come on, say these things right now. Direct your future by saying what you want. Everybody should be doing this. I'm not opening my eyes because I hate looking at people not doing what I ask. When I'm saying we're, you need to step into a promise, but you have to say it. You have to say something. This is where I'm going. Your tongue is a rudder. God, we are going to go into the promised land. We are going to touch our destiny. We are not going to fail. We are not going to shrink back. We are not going back to Egypt. We are not going to be living and dying in the wilderness all of our days. We will come through. One of the things that happens throughout the week is a lot of people talk to me about what God is speaking to them. 
And uh, I'm trying to remember. I can't remember who said this. Oh, it was Yoshi. He was telling me he was reading in the Bible, and it said that when Moses was about to die, it said he was going to pass on what he had, but he only was passing on half or a part, pardon me, not half, of what he had. So he said, I'm going to take some of my spirit and put it on you, which is really interesting because he, Joshua did not receive all that Moses had, only a part of what Moses had. And Yoshi was asking me, why? Why wouldn't he give it all? Well, you know that Jesus is given the spirit without measure? Hello? Do you know you are given the spirit with measure? Hello? You know why? Two reasons. A, you cannot handle without measure. Okay? B, the only way for us to be interdependent is if we need one another. It's forced family. Okay? So the grace that's upon us collectively is a fullness, but the grace is on us individually is a portion so that we can learn to walk together. And so uh, there's something that God is doing. That means my destiny is linked to your destiny. That means you coming into your fullness causes me to come into my fullness. Did you know that? Do you know the reason I can function in some of the ways I do is not just because of my maturity, but because of your maturity? Apostolic ministry works that way. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he said this. I can't remember the exact. uh, It's in 2 Corinthians, I believe. But it says that he would be greatly increased in his sphere by the increase of their faith. He'd be enlarged in his sphere. That means the sphere of his ministry would enlarge because of the increase of the Corinthians' faith. What is that? That's corporate. So you know what that means for me? That means my ability to fulfill my ministry out there hinges on my ability to fulfill my ministry in here, which is calling you to your fullness and your destiny. That's why this is not a show in the sense that, you know, so one person gets up and, you know, uh, and, and prays the prayer and everybody goes, woo. No, we all have to pray. We all have to release. You are a fountain and out of your innermost being, being flows rivers of living water. And how much water flows from this church to this community, how much life, how much of the presence of God, that's what that represents that flows to this community is dictated not by how anointed I am or Jesse is or the worship team is, but how much you release. So this is not going to be ever again a spectator sport. Hello? Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, Father, we want to say today, we'll wind it down here. So I got some other things that the Lord spoke to me about. Father, we want to say we will, we will become and we will be who you've intended us to be. God, we will allow ourselves to be trained. We will allow you, Holy Spirit, to touch our unbelief. And we will not shrink back in shame and disappointment. We will confess it and we will step past it. Father, in the name of Jesus... God, thank you, Lord. 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 One last thing about this. I keep getting this picture in my mind. 
And this is part of what your journey looks like. When I used to lift weights in high school, we always trying to push more. And, and you know, God is trying, trying to get you to be able to push more. You know, your faith is meant to work for the kingdom. Did you know that? And he's always up in the weight. And so we were always doing that. We're always up in the weight. But sometimes we get spotters, right? And we're trying to do, you know, 10 or 12 reps with like this bench press. We're trying to push. And we got a spotter. If he thinks you can't make the last four or the last three or whatever it is, he's going to help you. He's going to pull a little bit. But here's the thing. You don't know how much he's pulling. Only he knows. You don't know how much extra help you're getting. And so when you first become a Christian, things are easy. The reason they're easy is God is doing all the pulling and you are done doing none of it. Almost literally none. You barely believe anything. So you cannot even carry the weight of your emotional dysfunction, the, the mental things that are going on in your life, your, the iniquity of your family life. All of those things are weighing upon you and God is a barrier between you and them. That doesn't mean you're past them. You, you don't have the faith to deal with those things yet. So as you increase in faith, he starts to let some of the weight that's there come upon you so that you can learn to push past. That's where Christianity starts to get real. That's for your training. Because up to then, you're not really doing anything. Oh, but I, I was so much more faithful then. No, <laughs> the grace of God was so much more faithful then. Hello? It's always the grace of God. Always the grace of God. But he's calling you into partnership with that grace. So all of a sudden, things start to happen. Maybe emotions start to flare up, like old patterns in your life. And you think, what's going on? I, I haven't felt that in years. Well, okay, now God wants you to deal with it. Deal with it. Not pretend it's not there. Now deal with it. Because what, when you're in full combat in the enemy, if you're actually out there leading the, the armies of God, becoming a general in the armies of God, you are facing head on the combat. And the combat is the enemy comes and pushes any button he can. And in those days, in those days, you have to either be able to press past those things or not. So when you suddenly have an emotional meltdown and you're gone for three days or gone for a week or gone, you know, from relationships and for, from life in general, you don't have the option to do that when you're leading an army. Hello? So your function is always commensurate with your maturity and your gifting. Gifting is another component. So God, but doesn't matter what your gifting is or your destiny. The point is, are you stepping into it? Are you allowing yourself to be trained? Do not faint. Do not step back. Do not pretend these things aren't, don't have to be dealt with. Instead, just face the music. Because God has, he wants to make you a champion. He has everything necessary. I mean, you are going to shine for eternity like the morning star. If. You let him do the work in you that he wants. It's worth it. It is so worth it. It, it is so worth it. Endure. Press on. Commit to the race. Give yourself no quarter. No self-pity. No selfishness. 
No whining, no whinging, no crying. Well, you can cry for a little while. It's like Gideon says, I used to give myself 10 seconds, now I give myself three. Give yourself a shorter cord than you have, and you'll step into something. I feel Steve has something. Uh, we were at the zoo, and I took this picture and didn't really think about it. And I was looking at it later, and I'm like, there's something on that thing. But I couldn't. Well, yeah, the sun's coming on the eagle. That's pretty prophetic. And then this morning during our, our time of worship, I saw the rays of light cascading over this bird. And this eagle has lost a wing and will be in captivity for the rest of its life. And I saw it as a prophetic picture of us. Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 60. Isaiah 40, we sang about it this morning. As we wait, we will rise on wings like eagles. Isaiah 60 speaks of arise and shine for the light has come. And the glory of God will rise upon you. And I saw us as these uh, as this eagle in the cage. And for varying periods of our life, we've been comfortable in the cage. Our destiny speaks of soaring. It speaks of rising. And yet we've drawn comfort from the stability of the cage. But this day, I want to speak over the eagles in this room that are intended to soar. That the light is rising upon you. And there is healing coming. There is healing coming for the ones who are destined to soar. For the ones that are destined to rise. And I declare healing in this house in Jesus' name. For each person here that has found comfort in the cage, it is time to be released in Jesus' name. As the glory of God is being poured out upon us, as the light of his nature is cascading upon us, healing is coming. And so we say, we receive your healing, O God. We receive your healing, O God, that the eagles would begin to soar again that they would begin to catch flight and to ascend into realms of the Spirit. Come on, we declare that this body will ascend in Jesus' name. We declare that this body will soar in Jesus' name. Unencumbered, unhindered, free, free to fly in Jesus' name. Come on, we declare Isaiah 40 over our body. That as we wait upon God, he will renew our strength. We will mount up with wings as eagles. We will run and not grow weary. We will walk and will not faint. Glory of God be released in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on, just lift up your praise. He is healing us even now. He is healing us to soar, to ascend to fly into realms of the Spirit, realms of glory. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Lord, we want to thank you that you are preparing an army.
that you will have people who will be volunteers in the day of your power. Father, these volunteers will not be reluctant, uninformed, or ill-prepared. Lord, make us these volunteers that you are longing for. We pray in Jesus' name. You say amen. Amen. Well, last week I began to share about something. And um, it, uh, it strikes at the, the core of what I feel mandated by the Lord to do in the earth, which is, which is to train a spiritual family. Raise up spiritual believers. Here's, here's the challenge I, I've had all the years I've been a Christian. I, I read the Bible. I see how Jesus functioned. I see what Jesus suggested about us. I saw the way he taught his disciples. I saw the way he challenged his disciples. I saw what his disciples became. And then I looked at the church. And I didn't see a lot of compatibility. I didn't see a lot of, I saw, you know, it, it was like there was all of these legal stop-off points where rather than becoming spiritual believers, people were allowed to opt out of some of the most significant traits that Jesus expected from his believers. He expected certain things from his disciples. And then he said, go and make disciples of every nation. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I know I'm not. But I, I think he's still expecting the same thing from us. I think that the way he defines a believer is the right way. And that it is upon us to come into that, to measure up to that, to make no excuses as to why we're not coming into that. Now, the journey for that is, is, is step by step. And, you know, the first thing that God is dealing with is shame. Shame and guilt. And you know, this is fundamental, and we, we talked about this this morning. But if you, don't, if you haven't dealt with shame and guilt in your life, you can go nowhere. Nowhere. You can't even go to phase one as a trained believer. You know why? Because you can't handle failure. You can't handle the thought that you are less than you ought to be, or less than you're going to be, or less than anybody else even. Shame and guilt locks us into an unteachable mode where we cannot proceed. And every, every suggestion that we should be more is guilt. That's not the automatic response of a person who's rooted in faith, you know. Guilt is not the only option when you realize you're, you're missing something. How about, how about hope? How about faith? How about latching on to the promise? How about perseverance? Guilt is a manifestation of flesh. And if you manifest guilt, then it's because you have it, not because somebody else is giving it to you. Nobody makes you feel guilty. You are allow yourself to be made feel guilty because you are guilty. So if you're not over that, you need to get over that really quick because everything else hangs in the balance. I mean, you know, you know this. Anybody who's trained anybody ever, if they're afraid of disappointing you, 
you can't ever inform them about anything you did, they did wrong. You know, I mean, think about it. Manufacturing something has very specific specifications, and this person is so guilt-ridden, so goes into deep depression every time you tell them to make something a little bit better. You know, so what you have, you have a box of things they've made that don't work, and you have to throw it out because you can't talk to them. Doesn't work in industry, doesn't work in the church. So, but let's pretend we're all past guilt. <laughs> let's pretend we have confidence that we are children of God, we are beloved, and we are dealing with those things in a, in a faith-based fashion. And if we are, then we're on the fast track to, grow, to growing because then you can, be, you can look in the mirror and you can be honest with yourself and you don't have to shy away. And, uh, and the question is about faith. So listen, and, and let me say this again. I just had this discussion the other day. If somebody suggests to you that you don't have enough faith, don't argue with them. You don't have enough faith. Your faith is not strong enough and you don't have enough. You know why? Because you don't. The disciples didn't, and we don't. This thing is finished when you have all that you need. Right? I mean, there's a fullness that will come when you are transformed, when you are full of faith, when you have all faith and all love, you know, when you have all the gifts of the Spirit, all the fruit of the Spirit, when you're transformed, then it's done. But until then, you are growing. Your faith is strengthening. Your faith is increasing. Largeness, durability, et cetera, et cetera. So never, never get into that argument. Well, he said we don't have faith. Because you're looking at somebody with not enough faith. All right? Otherwise, I could do anything. Because the Bible says nothing is impossible to him that believes. And there are things that are not possible for me. So ergo, I do not believe. There's no shame in that. It's just, you know, if you're in grade 8, that's not a shame that you're not in grade 10. Right? Let's get past that. So, all right. Uh, there's a scripture in Matthew 15 that says this. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. Now, Jesus said that, and he said that about the Pharisees. He said it about the, the, the society, the Jewish society of its day. But it didn't necessarily represent everybody, right? There were people of faith. But he said these people, he was generalizing. You know, you had, uh, at the very least, you had uh, Simon. And, uh, you know, when Jesus was born, you had this prophetess there. I mean, there were people who were aligned, who heard God, who immediately responded, you know, who, who, who hungered and thirsted for righteousness, et cetera, et cetera. But when he says that, he says, he's saying, listen, there's a possibility that you could on the surface be doing the right things but not getting the right results. Okay, we need to entertain that as a possibility in our lives because one of the things we love as human beings is form. Form is the great thief of actual substance, okay? And so one of the things that God wants us to do is he wants us to know the difference between form and substance. And that's something that's growing on us. But he says, here he says, these people draw near in vain. And so part of what you, is happening in your life as you're becoming a spiritual Christian is you are getting a, pretty, a better read on whether you are drawing near or not. Okay? Because 
they were locked in a dark place where, where they were doing the right things and did not know they were not approaching. We're completely oblivious to that measure. So what if that measure was available? What if you could see your, whether you're actually drawing near and what's keeping you from drawing near? And whether, what it, you know what, you're in the, actually in the middle of that right now. God is training you by not rewarding certain behaviors and by worrying, uh, rewarding others. And little bit by little bit, he's training. You know, uh, you, you had a presence of God special moment last week when you sang that song, and now you're singing it again because you think that's the trick. Oh, the only way you're going to realize that that's not the trick, singing that song or singing these songs in this particular order or at the end of our prayer saying amen or saying amen the way Pastor Mark says it or the way Bill Johnson says it or da, 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 da. you know, all these little. The only way you learn what works and doesn't work is by experiencing what works and doesn't work and being honest about it. Wow, what a novel idea. Let's experience that. So God is trying to awaken a people to desire to know the truth about these things. What kind of believer are you? And by extension, what kind of church are we, really? Are we a life-giving church? Am I a life-giving person? Am I willing to accept the measure that God has or, you know, well, we got, you know, we're better than the church that's got less people and we got our own building and, you know, we got good music. And No, I don't care. I don't care what we do well. I just want something that draws more of God's presence until the effects that I saw in Jesus' ministry are the effects that I see in our ministry. Until then, we are incomplete. And there's no shame in that. None at all. So years ago, I was in a church... So when I was doing my a lot of itinerating, and I was in a church, and uh, I was in a pre-service prayer. Well, they called it pre-service prayer. There's not much prayer going on. There was three other guys in there, and me. And uh, it was void of any activity in the spirit. I mean, it was it was so terrible. I kept thinking, Oh God, why am I even here in this church? And uh, anyway, I, I was very disappointed. I struggled with being, and I was thinking, I wish the morning was already over. Anyway, so we finished the pre-service prayer. And as we're walking to the auditorium, the pastor says to me, you know, God has been doing a, a lot of great things in our church, and, and what you just saw is the evidence of what he's doing. Thinking, what are you talking about? I... If that's the evidence of what he's doing, he's not doing anything. Well, here's what struck me most. How is it you can't see that? I mean, what, what measurements are you taking? Well, how are you evaluating what God is and is not doing? Because you had the tiniest percentage of your people at pre-service prayer, and there was no prayer, and there was no presence. What is it we're after? Do we know if we're getting it? Well, if we don't know, we should start to want to know. And if we're afraid to know, then we have to deal with the fear. 
But basically, so let me launch into some of this. Kind of ties on what I said last week, and I may mention in passing. Okay, the natural versus the spiritual uh, in the New Testament, where Jesus or others talked about the natural and the spiritual. But Jesus also used the words the natural uh, or the, the, the spirit and the flesh. And he contrasted these two things. So he said things basically indicating the incompatibility of these two things. That the, the one, the one, he says, the words I speak to you are spirit and our life. The flesh profits nothing. You remember that? Uh, he, he, uh, uh, he challenged the disciples with these things, and he talked about life. He talked about the spirit. And he basically was essentially saying that, listen, you are either a natural person or you are a spiritual person. And what does it mean to be a spiritual person? According to Romans 8, 14, a spiritual person is a son of God, and they're led by the spirit. And we have to start asking our questions. How often am I led by the spirit? Again, no guilt involved. Let's just be real. Are we growing in this? It's not about perfection, but are there evidences at all that we are increasing? Well, uh, there's so many ways God can do that in your life, and there's probably some areas where you're not allowing him to do it at all. I'm sure that's the case with me. But, you know, in some areas, it's, it's growing. And so one of the areas is in losing things. I have lost my iPad three times in the last three months, uh, twice on flights, international flights, where I was already in the terminal, and I realized I left my iPad back in my seat. Yeah, <laughs> I can't tell you. You know, uh, A, I, I, I hate the idea of losing an $800 item, uh, B, the trouble with that, and I mean, the panic that strikes me, but God has been trying to teach me to rest. So what happens in the midst of my panic, all right, um, I'm facing a choice of whether to go with the panic or, or hear the voice. But here's the thing. When there's emotions, you know, kind of erupting, the spirit is a still small voice and the emotions are loud noise. It's very hard unless you know how to be intuitively connected to that. So how is your ability in that situation, Mark, to hear what the Spirit of God is saying? And, if, and I, what I start to realize is in these situations, I am feeling when I incline my spirit to the Lord, I feel peace. But my mind says, what are the chances you are going to get that back? Do you know how many thieves there are on the cleaning crews of United Airlines? You know, and on and on it goes. There's no way you're getting back. And I've heard all the horror stories and, and on and on it goes. But, and so I'm, I'm half panicked, but trying to tap into the peace. Anybody ever done that? Right? Because your mind is saying, you know, the preponderance of the evidence here is that you will never get your iPad back. Well, I got it back both times from flights within like 30 minutes, and which was amazing, especially when you're coming on international flights and you can't get back to the area where it is and nobody's helpful. Um, so anyway, yesterday, I'm at the hospital visiting my wife, and we got the grandkids there and Matt and Val, and um, I bring my iPad, and I lose my iPad. So 
what happened is I asked Micah to carry it, and he, his mom took it off him because she thought he was going to drop it, so she put it in her stroller. I took it out of there and put it in the back of the rented wheelchair that I was taking up, which we ended up not using. So anyway, I, I, I come back downstairs, and uh, I put it away, and I don't notice that the iPad is in it. And so I go, and we go have lunch. We go out and do a picnic. Uh, I'm leaving to go home, and as we're driving back to Spruce Grove, I realize, oh, my iPad. And I'm, and I'm thinking, panic. But then I feel this really strong peace. And I think, should I panic? You know, sometimes, you know, when we're in a situation like that, we have a, a well-meaning spouse who accuses us of not caring because we're not panicking. Ever been in that situation? You know, sometimes it's, it's social norms, you know, protocols that require panic. Otherwise, you don't care. Anyway, just putting that out there. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, I, I'm, I'm feeling this peace, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, ah, oh, you've got to be kidding. I'm thinking, and so I start thinking, well, maybe it's in the stroller still. And, and that's what Val said. Oh, maybe it's in the stroller. It wasn't. I called Wendy. It wasn't there. It wasn't anywhere. I'm thinking, I put it downstairs. And I, you got to the, the Misericordia Hospital, the main area where these things are, there's tons of shady people all over the place, you know. And, and again, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, there aren't honest people. But anyway, I'm thinking, you know, the chances of me getting that back now, are, but I feel this peace. Well, you know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, Lord, I'll just release that iPad into your hand. And I, I'm just trusting you. And so Diana is going to the hospital. So as I'm coming into Spruce Grove, she's leaving Spruce Grove. So I call her, when you get there, could you check the strollers at the front? So she checked. She checked with security. She checked it wherever. Uh, nobody's turned it in. It's not, with the, it's not in the backs of any of those ones. And so she goes and takes Wendy outside and spends a couple hours with her and then after she's about ready to go she decides to get a look again she goes and looks in the ones the rented ones all in a row put back and it's not there but then she sees a couple by themselves not put back that people had rented she goes over there and there's my ipad still there somebody had rented it and used it for a couple hours and it's it's, it's still there i got my ipad back now i don't recommend you do this But I have no doubt that there will be opportunities for you to panic. Now, there's two sides to this. You may not get your iPad or your keys or your truck back. In which case, God is greater than that. Or you may get it back. Either way, there's no reason for not living in peace. The question is, can you and do you? See, this is what faith... What if, what if, as a spiritual being, faith allows or empowers the intervention of God to sustain elements or things in our lives, and without faith, God's ability to sustain those elements is not there? That's the way faith works. The reason why uh, the Western civilization has been so healthy is because of the degree of faith as compared to other cultures and other, other civilizations. 
Not because we're more genius than anybody else, but it's the amount of intervention of God that we are drawing down to the earth because of faith. The amount of leaning on the Spirit, the leaning on the abilities of God, which is, which is an expression of faith, that's what allows God's intervention in the earth. I remember thinking about it a few years ago, and I was thinking, with all these people, I was living in the U.S., I was thinking, with all these people that hate the United States, I mean, are viciously committed to destroying the United States, how come they're not succeeding you know, in killing more people, more Americans, and more atrocities. I mean, surely there, there must be more opportunity. And the Lord began to say to me, it is, it is the, this, my spirit that's watching over nations that's based on the faith of the people at work. That the reason why, you know, they catch, you know, so many criminals, the reason why they catch so many terrorists, the reason why so many plans are foiled is because of the faith of the people. Is it a specific faith or is it a a benign faith? It is just a faith that God keep our land. God keep our land. See, that's an empty prayer. It could be an empty prayer. It could be something some people just say, but it could be something others actually believe. And and the, the collection, if you could sort of Gather all the faith together that is in Canada, calling for the goodwill of God on this land. That determines the measure of God at work in the land. So how important then does it become for you to be a person who pulls on heaven? Hello? It's critical. It is, it is the, this, one of the central mechanics of the operation of the kingdom of God is you believing That's why when we're training to do this, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God is looking for those who worship him that way because he's wanting to pour his enabling, empowering presence into the earth, but he needs an invitation of faith on the part of those who can pull him. And that's why the church is manifested or our worship. That's why we say, come, Lord Jesus. The spirit and the bride say, come, Because everything else, economy, civil uh, peace, you know, tranquility between husbands and wives and communities, everything transcends down to that. I mean, think of it in this way, like the forest fires. It's harder to have forest fires when there's lots of rain. You can still have a forest fire, a fire, you know, being created, if people really want to create a fire, they'll create a fire, but it's not going to go anywhere if there's been a lot of rain. When spiritual believers call down the presence of God on a city, on a region, and sustain a presence, because we are literally, we are the firemen spiritually that are pumping out water that keeps fires of dissension and and evil and murder and and all of those things from, from generating strength anywhere in our community. Right? So how important is this? Well, it's not the only thing we do, but I tell you, it is the most important thing we do. What about soup kitchens? What about the, 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 you giving to the poor? What about, yeah, yes, amen. But the, the effectiveness of those on-the-ground activities, be it that or one-on-one evangelism or, 
or uh, you know, some kind of program that you have to bring people in the church. All of those things are empowered by the amount of the presence of God that's released in the city, which hinges on your faith, which is hinges on the faith expression in worship. Does that make sense to us? So without spiritual believers, you essentially have the same thing you have in Israel. They are under the thumb of the Roman government. They're being crushed, and they're wondering, what is going on? We are the promised people. This doesn't make sense. Well, you're the promised people, but you draw near me. You honor me with your lips. You draw near. uh, Your heart is far from me. You draw near to me in vain. What if churches, to some degree, are doing some of that, and God is saying, listen, I want you to shift so that your worship becomes real, so that the presence is manifested, because that's what undergirds and sustains a nation. That's how he's doing it. So God is looking for more spiritual believers. And you know what's, what really I find that I, that I struggle with is how many times you have to defend to Christians the spiritual nature of Christianity. That so many Christians do not have a grid for Christianity beyond a philosophy or beyond a, a system of works and a general belief. No, that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is spirit. God is spirit. Your transformation when you got into this, you, you were born into this. You were born from the natural world. You were born into a spiritual world. And your maturity is measured in how, how, e- how much with ease you interact with the resources and the atmosphere of that spiritual world. If, you, if that's odd to you, if the spirit world is strange, if spiritual things are, you're afraid of them, if you shrink back, if you don't understand it, that is a problem. And it was a problem Jesus addressed with his disciples all the time. And yet, I find pastors are very reluctant. Why is that? Mostly because they're very natural as well. So, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Here's what that means. If you do something that's spiritual, the natural man will always mock it. The natural man will look at it and say, this has no legitimacy. Or he will say, show me the legitimacy of this thing in terms of outcomes, measurable, tangible outcomes. And And I say to that person, where then is faith? I mean, there's nothing wrong with expecting fruit, but you don't believe in using the absence of fruit that you can't see and wouldn't even think of as fruit, evidence that it's therefore not real. This is what Jesus, he had developed his spiritual senses, and he's calling us to develop our spiritual senses. The way he developed his spiritual sense and what he came to was how we could come to. And again, I shared this as one of those things, but when the woman with the issue of blood touched him, what happened? He felt power go out from him. Is that like electricity? Was that like sparks? Like when you, you, know, you get static electricity? And 
No, his spirit was engaged, his spirit. You know, when people use that language, they're not just being poetic. Now, some people can pretend to have an experience beyond what they do, but that doesn't nullify the fact that others actually have that experience, and it's real, and it's authentic. And what God is trying to get us to do is, can we know the realm of the Spirit, the witness of the Spirit, the leading of the Spirit, the comfort of the Spirit, the voice of the Spirit, the peace of the Spirit of God, more more than anything else in this world? Or are we going to be running around like this? from crisis to crisis and situation to situation and refusing to tap into this and saying, what's going on? That's the tragedy we'll stand before the Lord when we could have had something different all along. But, well, I'm afraid I might not look good So what we do is we say, well, you know, that spirit stuff, that's for the intercessors. That's for the prophetic people. That's for the fivefold ministry people. I live in the real world. I got to deal with the real world. That's a cop-out. Jesus was always dealing with the real world. So last week I I mentioned that when Jesus was dealing with his his disciples, he said things to draw them into the spirit realm. And when he challenged them, he, he, he set things out there that would make them stumble. So, in, in John, when he says to them, eat my flesh and drink my blood, that was a really hard teaching. And he could have explained it better. But he didn't. He said it in that vague, obtuse fashion. People stumbled over it. And all, they all started leaving, even the disciples who were tempted to leave. And Jesus said, uh, do you want to go too? Does this offend you? What, what's the problem here? Why, why was there no problem with Jesus? Listen, he was saying, listen, I, the words I speak to you are spirit and life. And that was his response to Peter. Listen, Peter, the words I speak are spirit and life. All, every day, all day, every since you've known me, I have spoken the, the spirit, spirit and life, spirit and life, spirit and life. Every word that I speak is spirit and life, spirit and life, spirit and life. Were you receiving it because you understood it and it made sense to you because it, it, was, it agreed with the world around you? Or did you receive it because it burned in your spirit and, and though it, it contravened some things you thought, you just knew it to be true? I'm sure Peter felt a certain amount of conviction at that time that he struggled over this statement. He said, wow, intellectually, I stumbled over a few words when the same substance of spirit and life was when in those words that had been in everything else he'd said, but I was distracted because the intellectual content was not agreeable to my Judaistic traditions. What is that? That is a test. How many times, oh, the Lord wouldn't do that to me. He knows I trust him. God makes moments like this for us all the time because he's saying, listen, I'm going to share something with you. I'm going to have Pastor Mark or somebody say something. It's going to be spirit and truth, but I'm going to have him say it in a way that's obtuse or a way that specifically pushes one of your buttons. And I'm, you say you want to grow, but this is a test. This is a test. 
Does that mean I always say things right? No, that's not the point. But the point is, when I hear other people say things wrongly, but I hear the heart of the spirit of truth, I don't care what they said. I received the spirit of truth that I know they were trying to say. Well, that was just wrong, and you know, blah, 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 and they should never speak again. Okay. So Jesus, in our training, is drawing out our spiritual intuition. In Hebrews chapter 5, 13, around there, he says, the spiritual mature believer has his senses refined, exercised, developed to discern the one from the other. The child does not. So all of these things, and as you know, Matthew 3, 13, 13, I mentioned it last week, the parables of Jesus were not meant to make things clear. But, you know, when I shared that last week, I felt a little bit of kickback, like, and it could have been some visitors that were with us who didn't understand me, thought I might be Jim Jones. But this is what Jesus says. Now, here's straight from, straight from the red. And his disciples came to him, verse 10 of 13. Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. I didn't, in other words, the whole notion that parables are to clarify points of truth is a lie. Parables are not given to clarify points of truth. They're, parables are given to obscure points of truth because they're spiritual words from the Spirit of God and they are spiritually discerned. In other words, God's saying, listen, this is true. It's from my Spirit and I want you to develop the equipment that is able to, enables you to assimilate spiritual things. So I'm not going to give you natural things. I'm going to give you spiritual things. Now, Jesus helped the disciples a lot by explaining a lot after the fact. But what did he say often when they didn't understand? He's like, what? Don't, you still don't understand? What's the matter with you? Remember that? He always thought they should be further along. I wonder if they accused him of guilting them. So Matthew 13, 13, you should look at that. Matthew 16, 8, we'll share this and then I'll begin to wind down here. 16, 8. So I'll start reading verse 5. This is the, the whole thing about the leaven of the, of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Now realize this is after the miracle of the loaves and fishes. Okay, got this? After the miracle of the loaves and fishes, so they realize they get over in the boat and they, they, they've forgotten to bring bread. And then Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they reasoned among themselves, it is because we've taken no bread. So they're panicking. And, uh, and then Jesus... <laughs> But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand? 
Or remember the five loaves of the thousand, or how many baskets you took up, nor the seven loaves of the four thousand, how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I did not speak concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees? Then they understood him. Here, what's interesting is Jesus always draws a parallel between lack of faith and lack of understanding. Because there is an intuitive ability that your spirit has to comprehend. Even if it doesn't have all the facts, your spirit has an ability to hear what's being said and to interpret it correctly. Your spirit has that. Now, if you want to develop that, how do you do it? How do you develop that? How does that grow in you? Because that's one of the, that's one of the lightning rods of every church. I mean, so many divisive issues come out of that particular thing where people misunderstand things that are being said or ascribe to what's being said to their own motives or their own thoughts or other things. Here's what the Lord is trying to teach us. Spiritual believers uh, discern properly. They hear one another. They get what's being said. And so... If you struggle with comprehension, then you struggle with faith. So he said, when they didn't understand, he said to them, oh, ye of little faith. Last week, I showed you how the centurion expressed great understanding. Remember that? The centurion, he expressed amazing understanding about the, 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 the nature of authority. And immediately when Jesus heard the understanding, you know, he says, I too have a man under authority, and this is the way authority works. He says, I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel. Why do you say faith? And I haven't seen wisdom like this. I haven't seen understanding like this. I haven't seen comprehension like this. Because the two go hand in hand. Faith releases understanding. Because to operate in faith out of your spirit is the same place you operate in understanding. So mystical things, spiritual things, parables being understood, hearing a speaker and knowing their intention, not getting offended and thinking, da, 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 you know, all these landmines going off. It all has to do with faith and understanding, which go together. If you are a maturing spiritual believer, you'll get less and less of those opportunities to stumble. And you trust more and more. And you hear more and more. And you understand more and more. What if we had the full measure of our spirit's capabilities at work. You know, I, I don't even know what that would look like. Probably wouldn't lose my iPad to begin with. <laughs> you know, I would probably be more present. Probably be a lot of things. But this is where we're going. We're not there, but we're growing. Just like a person who wants a great physique and build. You go to the weight room. Well, I went to the weight room. It didn't help. Oh, how long did you go? Oh, once. Oh, yeah, you got to go more often. How many times? Until you have a great body. <laughs> and there's other things you should do as well, you know. Fries, mm-mm. So spiritually, right, what do you need to do to develop into the spiritual believer that the Bible represents? Well, you have to develop, you have to work out your spirit. Well, how often? 
more. Well, I want to be a, have a great build. I want to be an athlete. How often should I work out? More. Well, I already work out twice a week. More. I work out five times a week. Work out more. And then add to that eating better. And add to that, you know, right? What is it? It's not, a, it's not an issue of, ah, oh, do I have to go to church again? It's like the athlete. Do I have to work out again? Who says that? Who's trying to actually craft a skill? But I got to play my guitar again. Ah, gee, I hate playing my guitar. Well, you don't want to be a great guitar player then. You see what we're dealing with? Heart issues are what keep us from being the people we're called to be and can be. Everything's there for us. So, Father, I want to thank you that you, you have abilities beyond our comprehension. Lord, you are making spiritual Christians. Lord, help us learn, God, to navigate in the spirit realm. And I want to say right now today that the door is open for anyone, anyone. Yeah, the intercessors, the prophetic people take to certain spiritual things more easily than others, but it doesn't mean it's exclusive. Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray that we would deal with what needs to be dealt with so that we can be the kind of believers that you view us as, Lord, that the abilities of our spirit would begin to come to the forefront. God, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.